Hi everyone, welcome to the B2B Sales Podcast. I'm Ada. And I'm Thibaut. Every two weeks, we interview top leaders, experts, and top performers in B2B sales. And every other week, we'll share tactical tips and insights on how to start conversations, generate opportunities, and close deals faster. We are on a mission to change the way society sees sales. This profession is one of the most rewarding ever. Yet many people are afraid to do sales or they choose this career by default. This podcast is brought to you by Sales Labs. If you want to submit your questions and guest suggestions, you can join the T-shaped sales community. It's a 10 euro month subscription where you'll get access to one new tactical training every month, a community of sales reps and exclusive events and discounts. Join today and get one month for free at www.saleslabs.io slash TSC. So get ready for your dose of sales wisdom and enjoy the show. So hi, everyone. Welcome to this new episode of the B2B Sales Podcast. So today I'm receiving uh, Jerry Henry, who is the manager, solution architects and onboarding specialist at Sendoso. And we're going to talk about, you guessed it, uh, hyper-personalized outreach and ABM. So Jerry, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. How are you doing? I'm good. Just uh, wrapping up the end of a, a busy year and looking forward to uh, 2021 and what's uh, here to come. Yeah, exactly. Same here, you know, just wrapping everything and uh, yeah, looking forward to a, a good, exciting year where I guess we'll be, yeah, I hope we'll be able to see people more in person. Right. Yeah, no more uh, Zoom and, and uh, all these virtual meetups. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, before we dive into the topic of ABM and uh, hyper-personalized outreach, can you maybe tell me a bit more about yourself and uh, your background? Yeah. Yeah. So my name is Jerry Henry. I live in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Um, as far as my background, I'm currently the manager of onboarding and solution architects at Sendoso. Uh, Sendoso is a sending platform that allows um, our customers to be able to send variety of gifts, anything from Amazon sends, some cocktail kits to e-gifts to help uh, personalization, uh, both, both getting into the door uh, with new prospects and then also doing surprise and delights and things with customers. I came from working at a company called Procore, uh, where I started as an SDR, moved into account-based marketing, uh, and then ultimately ended up in DemandGen uh, before I joined Sendoso. Okay. Okay. Nice. And so, um, yeah, Sendoso has been, I mean, a lot of people heard about it this year. Uh, you've been having a big growth. Can you tell, tell me a bit more about what you're doing at Sendoso and what are the plans for the year to come? Yeah. So I think obviously with 2020 and a, a lot of the events that happened with the pandemic and things like that, people no longer working in offices and being more at home and being out of their comfort element. Uh, really helps Sendoso build some of that rapport and engagement with people. Mm -hmm. um, so at Sendoso, we've rolled out a lot of new features. So ones like address confirmation, for example, um, with people no longer being in an office, how do you make sure you're sending your item to the correct person? Uh, so we help kind of send an email out, hey, here's the address I have on file. Can you confirm or edit it? Um, and I think the other big shift is in the marketing world. Um, as I'm sure you're aware, a lot of events have been canceled and conferences, and that's really where marketers, field marketers, events focus a lot of their time and budgets. Um, so we really help people align and pivot their strategy to being more virtual uh, on Zoom. So how do we help get attendance and, and people actually showing up 
to those events with the amount of virtual fatigue and things like that. So being able to do things like wine, wine tastings. Um, mm -hmm. So we have a send that will send a bottle, eight different bottles of wine. And the partner we use actually brings a wine sommelier onto your event to talk about the wines you're doing. So it kind of breaks up the tedious info, um, information that's always been kind of thrown at you within 50 minutes. Yeah. So how do you start differentiating yourself from others? So you mean like you send bottles to, to a bunch of people and there's a sommelier, is it like on Zoom or, or is it like something in, in you know, people being like on the, uh, in, in a physical place together? Yeah, so it's actually done via Zoom. Um, okay. So we partner with a company called In Good Taste, uh, which makes a lot of different, really good wine. Um, so we help our customers build a targeted list of, right, if you're doing a customer advisory event, who are your top accounts? Let's start getting them, their addresses confirmed. And then we actually send to their house uh, those eight little wine samplers. And then Ink and Taste provides a wine sommelier that will join your Zoom um, and start breaking down, right? This bottle was made this way and this is what you should be tasting and, and exampling. Um, so it really helps you build kind of some some entertainment. So what I like to call infotainment. So you're providing good information while still being entertaining. Okay. That's super nice. I'm just thinking of, you could do the same with tequila, for example, you know, you just send like nice tequilas from different places, have someone talking about it and uh, build this rapport. I think it's super, it's a super good idea. Yeah. We, we actually have vendors that will send margaritas, old fashioned kits. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's also a, a great way to keep internal morale high. Um, mm -hmm. So my team, we do like a virtual happy hour once a quarter where I send everyone either margaritas, the wine, or an old-fashioned kit. And okay. we forget about work. Uh, we talk about the highlights of the, the week, the month, what our plans are, but be able to still share that drink that we'd normally grab after work one day. Yeah. Um, now being able to kind of come all together and, and kind of forget about work for a little bit. Okay. That's super nice. That's, you know, like, it's super creative. I think it's a great idea to... Uh, as you said, to maintain morale, but also to, to kind of like build this rapport and do some account-based marketing. So it's a good transition for that. So, you know, we have account-based marketing, which is, I think, obviously a good, uh, important thing for you. Uh, a lot of people have different definitions, but maybe what's the definition you have of account-based marketing at Sendoso? Yeah, so I think there's there's kind of two, two thoughts behind it. Um, so the, the one that I hear most common is, is in regards to let's say fishing, right? So normal marketing, you throw a big fish net and you try to catch all the fish. Whereas account-based marketing, you're getting very strategic and think about fishing with the spear gun. So you're going for that one fish, that one group, but not necessarily everything in the sea. Mm -hmm. um, I think the way we look at it at Sendoso is really treating individual accounts as a market of their own. So what is this account or what are these group of four to five accounts have in common and how can we get very hyper-personalized with our outreach to this group opposed mm -hmm. to a more vague one that might capture a, anyone in a finance role, whereas we get strategic and we only want the CFO in this type of account that's in this industry. So again, mm -hmm. very granular with that outreach, the message and what we're actually sending. Okay. Okay. I see. And so, so, um, so you've you've developed like a few ABM programs. Can you be maybe tell me a bit more about that and how you how you go about that? Yeah. Um, so when I started the account-based marketing team at my last company, obviously it was brand new. This was about six or seven years ago when ABM was a, a new trend, which it's obviously grown into best practices now. Yeah. Um, so the way we kind of started it, one is being very uh, customer-centric. 
So your customers are the ones that you really need to build off of and look into the data and analytics because they're your customer for a reason. Mm -hmm. um, so what we started doing is really breaking down our ICP, right? So who is our ideal customer profile? What were the roles? Why did they buy us? And really start looking into some of that. Um, so as we'd started, we started doing some surveys with newer customers and customers that renew a couple times uh, to really see what value they found. Why did they go with us instead of a competitor? And from there, we kind of had our benchmark of what were the key elements. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, really building alignment with sales. So account-based marketing is the true bridge from marketing to sales. Um, so without sales adoption and alignment, it's kind of hard to be able to help them without having those insights. Uh, so we started having weekly meetings with SDRs. All right, who are your top accounts and why are they your top accounts? You have that gut instinct and you're making these calls and emails every day. So you know the most. And then working with the account executives. All right, what are these deals that you're having that have a quick timeline um, as far or sales cycle? and identifying a lot of those and then from piecing together your your customer success and why they went with you with then what are our top prospects and why are they our top and then kind of merging those together to then build a cohesive kind of strategy from there is what we did um, and then i think from there really understanding what can you repurpose that you have today to start small um, because I think a lot of people think of account-based marketing as this whole new strategy and we need new content and that just delays a lot of things. So we started looking at what were our top eBooks and content that were being downloaded over the last year. All right, so we know that these were our top five. Let's repurpose these by printing them out and mailing them or expanding more on that top performing content while we start building the bigger picture behind everything. Um, so that's how we initially started it. Um, we used a lot of hyper-personalization. Um, so there's companies like Optimize uh, Lead that will be able to help personalizing your landing pages and things like that to make your prospects feel very understood and heard instead of just another person you're trying to call. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, there's a the thing you, you, talk, you, you talked about, which was uh, repurposing content that you've done already. Uh, it's personally something I'm actually thinking a lot about. So. Um, I have this kind of accelerator, which is called the T-shaped sales development accelerator, where I train people on building their network proactively, serving problem-centric content, and then doing some warm outreach using that. And one big problem people have is that they don't really know how to create content or where to find it. And very often you have marketing content that is produced by a company. So if you're an SDR for a tech company uh, that has customers online, so they will produce like uh, white papers, whatever these things. And um, and so often, you know, we just feel like we have to rebuild, like keep building. And personally, I'm, I'm like like that. So I just keep building new stuff all the time. And now I'm just like, it's been a year and I'm tired. <laughs> I'm mm -hmm. just super tired of building new stuff. So what are like some concrete steps I could take? For example, let's take me as an example to kind of repurpose what I have. I have podcasts, I have videos, I have blog posts, whatever, and make it something new, but from with old stuff, basically. Yeah, I think... That's, that's a great question. I think with a lot of the tools out there with outreach and sales law, for example, you can start building some cadences and sequences and do some A-B testing, right? So maybe we're gonna have an outreach sequence and we want to include one of your podcasts in one group and some eBooks or something in a second and start small there. So maybe a hundred accounts that you're targeting and see with the insights that outreach provides, right? I noticed that this sequence with the podcast stops on step four every time, whereas the one with an ebook is on seven. 
So we're having a higher success rate of conversion with the ones with the podcast. Now, how do we take that podcast and disperse it more or see, all right, was it certain roles that were engaging or industries or tiered out accounts that are engaging more in video opposed to content? And then from there, be able to scale that out. Um, and I think SDRs are a really good, valuable asset when you're doing a lot of those things because they're the ones in the trenches doing it every day and they're the ones probably syndicating that content out the most. So really seeing what's engaging from there and then be able to kind of look back, all right, these types of podcasts. So we know podcasts are more successful. So let's do sequence with two different podcasts. One's going to be a 20 minute one, one's going to be 40 minutes. Where's the engagement from there? Um, and then continue to kind of build off of those benchmarks. Okay, so yeah, first step would be to identify what works well, and then kind of like uh, uh, developing, expanding on that, adding that, including that in my sequences. Okay. Yeah, okay. and then I think from there also expanding to different channels. So that was one big thing that I did when I started Direct Mail, for example, is we looked at our top performing eBooks and then how do we make some of those a tangible item? Mm -hmm. uh, so in my previous company, we had a, an ebook that was downloaded the most and it was around construction financials. Um, so from there I said, all right, what are the key, key pieces here? And one of them was the hidden cost on a job site. So I was like, great, right, I know this is our top performing content. How do I make it a physical item? So from there I worked with our marketing team and we ended up making a $15 send where it was a little poster. And in that poster I had a bunch of different um, stats on how your budget gets eaten up on a job site. And I included it with a $6 manual paper shredder. Mm -hmm. And our call of action here was, hey, you can either shred your budget or shred your paper. Okay. So from there, we took what we knew was performing really well, but then made it a tangible item. And we had a lot of success there. I think we had about a 55 to 60% opportunity rate from those sends. Okay. So I think that's another one is kind of reinventing some of that content, but not too much where it's taking a lot of your time. Okay, that's pretty cool. Because for me, I have like one big uh, like lead magnet, which is called my ultimate LinkedIn outreach sequence. And it's a five-step uh, call outreach sequence you have. And uh, you use mostly, mostly on LinkedIn. And um, I could think about something like that, maybe a poster with a, you know, like a, a graph. And we need to kind of go and think a bit more about how, uh, you know, like the equivalent of your shredder, something like that, but could be, uh, could be, for example, if it's sponsored by Sendoso, it could be like a 50 euro Amazon card you can include in there, you know, something yeah. like that. That could be a, a good way to repurpose that and add on top of that some kind of, uh, of, um, of sponsoring. Oh yeah, that's, that's a really good, really good valuable tip. Thanks a lot. Yeah. And, and I think the other one too is, is working with sales. So that was another thing that we did for hyper-personalization is we'd ask our sales team, if you could only talk about three things on a sales demo, what would those three things be? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the answers were pretty similar. So we knew those were our top selling points. And then it's also building content or things around those value props mm -hmm. to really help build that alignment and give them some of that air of support while they're still doing their job and kind of moving accounts through the funnel. Okay. Okay, and so talking about accounts, uh, one thing that is often very important in ABM is having a clear list of accounts, which is great, but how do you typically define a list of accounts? What are the criteria you will use for that? Yeah, so I think there, there's a few ways. So there's, there's, I think two, right? So it's the gut instincts from your team internally, and then looking at a lot of analytics. Um, companies like Everstring will do a lot of those where they'll kind of give you, you give them a seat of your top uh, customers and then they kind of do analytics to compare it against your prospects and which ones align the most. Mm 
Um, so what we do at Sendoso is we work with, our marketing team will work with our SDRs and our account executives um, to really see A, what accounts have the most engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think obviously people showing buying signals and engagement are normally a, a hotter account than those who are maybe ignoring your 18 step sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, and then same with the account executives. So, hey, who are your top five accounts that you're working today? Why are they your top accounts? Is it because you think it's a higher dollar amount or is it more that it's the perfect use case? And mm-hmm. we focus normally more on the use case opposed to the ARR. Okay. Um, so from there, kind of compiling, depends what you want to do. If you're doing email nurtures, obviously you can have a little bit bigger of a targeted account that's still hyper-personalized. If you're going to be doing things with direct mail, obviously those have a higher budget. So then it's kind of bringing it down based on some of those scores. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have our account executives do kind of the opposite of what customer success do with risk scores, but they do kind of use case mix with, is there a compelling event upcoming on why they need to buy? And then we kind of go off of that buying score. Okay. Okay. I see. I see. Um, yeah. I like the concept of taking use case over AR. Um, because yeah, that's the, I guess that, that kind of derives, if there's good use case, uh, you, you can prove that then you're going to get more, like, let's say more referrals, you can do some upsell. So I think it's, it's also pretty interesting. And one thing I've also found is, uh, um, when you do like a list of, you let people do list of accounts, often they have very, uh, subjective criteria for building the list. So they say, I want to work with Coca-Cola, for example, or cause it's a big brand, it's a big name. But often the use case are not that great because you know it's just it's not because it's a big brand that it's a good use case for you. So I think it's uh, it's pretty good to do that. Yeah, and um, yeah, yeah. And I think the other one too kind of goes back to really identifying your ICP and really mm-hmm. understanding who. I think nowadays it's definitely different than sales five years ago. So there's now big steering committees or there's even technology committees who have to all have buy-in before there's a, a new software brought on or a new tool. So I think also really identifying those ICPs and getting things to them ahead of time. That's something that I think successful ABM programs do is mm-hmm. as a new opportunity is being created and they're now one of your targeted accounts, you're probably doing your first initial meetings or maybe with the champion and who's going to use your platform day to day, but not the executive sponsors. So how do you start identifying those people early? So, right, we have a new opportunity that just started and I'm working with a manager, but I know that the VP is the one that signs the contract. So as I start those initial talks, being able to put those decision makers into an email nurture. So by the time your company name gets to them, they already know who you are, some of those value props. Um, So we do that here at Sendoso as well with Marketo. So if I know, let's say Coca-Cola, for example, I'm not talking to someone in a manufacturing facility. I'm going to now start emailing the VP of supply chain, some things of value props to them while that conversation is going through. So now when I have, Hey, did you receive what I sent you on X, Y, Z? And now it makes that conversation a bit easier. Um, I think that's also a big thing of ABM. Um, And I went to a couple of conferences called flip my funnel. um, Mm -hmm. And it's a big ABM conference and it's really flipping what your sales funnel looks like. So, you know, all right, I now have one contact, but now I need to flip my funnel and get four or five, six more people mm-hmm. within there because that's how I'm really going to accelerate that deal. I like the vision of flipping the, the funnel. I think it's, it's really smart. That's why for me, whenever I, I, I kind of like the first thing I always do uh, in my training is always define the ICP 
And I've divided that in, in three things. So you have the primary target, the champion, and the influencer pool. And for me, the champion is the typically the manager you're going to be talking to, the business, I mean, the let's say technical buyer or use case buyer. Then you're going to get the primary target, who's this VP, who's the person who signs the fiscal buyer. And then the influencer pool, which will be like the, the type of people who are uh, influencing the deal. Like if you take, you're selling to a tech company, let's say, uh, uh, let's say to a CTO, and you're selling like an SDK or whatever, you need to know that developers are important because they are the ones who are going to implement the SDK. And very often they just don't want to do that. So if you don't have something made for them, they're going to make the deal go, go south. And the same goes with the CTO. If you're talking, let's say, to a head of mobile as champion, you want to make sure the CTO will be uh, exposed to that. So I think it's the super, like flipping the funnel, as you said, is a, is a great way to, um, to, to make sure your deal can go through. Yeah, I think, yeah. And I also think to legal teams. So our, our team will normally send, um, our sales team will send cupcakes or they'll send something to the legal team of our, of our prospects because they also normally get left out. And if you build the rapport and engagement with them, they're more likely to do less red lines or get them done faster. Um, so yeah, to your point, it's really identifying everyone that's involved with getting a deal done. And then how do I get in front of them? Yeah, exactly. And so, so concretely, what shapes uh, shape that you can hyper-personalization take? So what are touch points or, you know, what you can, like the shapes you can take? Yeah, I think there, there's a few. So obviously display ads and emails, I think are the, the easiest ones. Um, and I think like Netflix and Amazon do it probably the best, um, especially now during the holidays. I can't tell you the amount of emails I received from Amazon due to something I was looking at. And they sent me that very hyper-personalized email of, mm -hmm. hey, these are the items that we think that you would like opposed to just sending me an email, hey, check out Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, so I think really identifying the engagements, what people are, are looking at, and then hyper-personalizing it from there. Um, I also think landing pages are, are a great one. Um, so I know there's a lot of softwares out there where if you go to a web page again, it could say, welcome back, Jerry, or the company name, so you, you feel more important. Um, and then I think their direct mail and events are, are also very easy to hyper-personalize. Um, at my last company, we would reach out to our top three, four prospects in a given region and tell them we were having an event, we'd love to have them. And as soon as they said yes, we'd actually then plan an event. And if they didn't say yes, we wouldn't have one. And then we'd bring other customers in to be very hyper-personalized there. Um, and then obviously direct mail can be very hyper-personalized. Um, our sales team will normally look at backgrounds uh, when they're on a Zoom call and start identifying some key features or things that are hung up on the wall. Um, one of our reps currently was uh, on a call with someone in San Francisco, they saw they had a 49ers jersey hung up on the wall behind them. So they sent them a very personalized Amazon gift that was geared around the 49ers football with a note about it. Um, so getting very hyper-personalized. And then I think also still still phone calls. Um, so congrats, I saw on LinkedIn that G2 had um, promoted and, and issued something that you'd build on SDR cadences and sequences and outreach. So if I saw that, I could send you a bottle of champagne with a note saying, hey, congrats on your G2 publication. Excited to see what you come out with next. And those little things that identify what makes someone human and humanizing a lot of that outreach is, is where we kind of focus on hyper-personalization. Yeah, I can send you my address so you can send a bottle of champagne if you want. Got it. Yeah, <laughs> but I have very, very high, high taste in champagne. So make sure you get only, the highest. Only the best. 
<laughs> and I mean, for you, for example, uh, people maybe can't see your background, but there are literally so many interesting things I can use to, you know, I, I know you like golf, seems like you're also into bullying. So there's tons of things I could send uh, around that, like a cap for golf or whatever, you know. And so I think it's, uh, yeah, using the Zoom background is a super smart thing. Never thought about it, but often, oftentimes people have things in their backgrounds and you can use that. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think with, with today's changes and, and social media and LinkedIn, for example, I think LinkedIn is one of the most efficient hyper-personalization tools, especially if you use like Sales Navigator. Mm -hmm. um, but our SDR teams, uh, both at Sendos and my previous company, would go on LinkedIn for maybe five minutes and look at someone's alumni, look at their interests, and then curate a very personalized send based off of that. So if I, uh, perfect example, we are targeting a CMO um, at Sendos for quite a while, and she was ignoring a lot of our calls. Um, the SDR happened to see on LinkedIn, she was promoting um, this thing called Girls Gang, which was a group of female coders. And honestly, for four or five months, two phone calls a week, emails, there's no response. They went on Amazon through our extension and our integration with Amazon, bought her a $15 coffee mug that said hashtag girl gang. Mm -hmm. Sent her to her with a note, hey, I really appreciate you helping females get into coding more. And it's something personal to me with having sisters would love to chat. She called him back the next day, set a mm -hmm. meeting ended up closing about two months later. It was one of our bigger deals. Okay. Uh, and then she left for a new company. And within the first month of her at the new company, she reached out and signed a deal with us as well. And it took just understanding what really got her excited and what she focused on and setting a $15 item yeah. to open that door and then really show her the impact with Sendoso. So I think there's a lot of those things that are out there, low hanging fruit that people yeah. just need to look into. That's super smart actually. And, uh, comes to my question. So a lot of time people are afraid of um, sending, let's say, are afraid of using tools like Sendoso because as you said, it's like something that's $15 and they, they kind of think that you have to do that at scale and just like you start to send like $15 gift to everyone you're reaching out. So if let's say you're a very small startup or a small company, you want to do some ABM and, and use a bit of direct mails. What would be the, the strategy you would, you would use there to make sure you kind of keep the cost down and, uh, and and invest them in the right right way? Yeah, so I think there's a few. So I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with repurposing things that you have. Um, so I think it's really identifying what has been working, what has not been working, and then building off of what is working. Um, and I think there's a lot of different ways. So things as simple as a $5 coffee gift card actually go a long way. Um, and I think it also goes off of the messaging. So if you're, we, we like to say we send things for the why, not the what. So we're sending you something to brighten your day or to give you that emotional response. And our SDRs don't end that with, please take a meeting with me today. It's more, hey, thought of you, thought this would be relevant and kind of building from there. Um, and then I think from there, start small. Um, so kind of going through the crawl, walk, run method. Um, so maybe start with smaller A-B testing and seeing, all right, if we send a $5 coffee gift card or we send printed content out, or if we send maybe cupcakes, which one's going to have the higher success? And a lot of our customers, once they see ROI, magically budget kind of shows up here and there because it's helping yeah. close more deals so you can find more budget. Um, but I think from there, as far as like an affordable ABM strategy to start, it's really just working on the alignment uh, with sales um, mm -hmm. and really focusing kind of on some change management. 
I think that's also a very big aspect to ABM is that change management of making sure there's adoption and there's buy-in from all parties involved. Because the worst thing you could do is have marketing putting all this effort and sales and just not caring. And now all that work's been wasted. Um, so I think from there, really, I, starting small, identifying, right, what are the three top accounts that if we could close these three accounts this year, it'd be a huge success and then focusing on those accounts. Okay. Okay, I see. Um, we, we also talked in, uh, in our kind of briefing about uh, your team. So you have a team of 11 people working with you. And I was just curious to know how remote work affected the work of the team and how you, you kind of like keep everyone motivated. Yeah, that's a, a great question. And it's it's definitely changed a, a lot of aspects, I think, uh, both for Sendoso and, and probably a lot of customers or companies out there. Um, so I think one, as far as keeping people motivated and morale high, is leading with compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing that we, we try to do here, and I try to pride myself on being very compassionate with what people are going through. Um, there are people who are used to going, so our office in Arizona, we had about 140 people in there. You saw them every day. Uh, you were able to have what we call those water cooler moments where it's just catching up and saying hi. So losing that and how do you still have that compassion? So we do uh, three like standups a week. And the ones on Friday, we call it cheers, beers and fears where it's not anything, hey, these are new changes. It's like, what was your win of the week? You're learning. And then we have a drink where we kind of come together. Um, so I think that's one. And then just understand people are going through a lot of different things. Um, so we have people who, once again, we're in the office who are now working out of the closet or working in their kitchen counter. Um, yeah. So really making sure that you understand people are going through a lot of different changes, both mentally, emotionally, physically. Um, so making sure you're there to support. Um, I have like an open 30 minutes every day where anyone can drop in and chat with me about things that are up and coming. Whereas in the office, people could just walk to my desk and ask me a question. Um, So I'd say those are kind of the the biggest changes of a lot of those really quick questions that can't be asked really quick or relying on Slack and Zoom. Um, I think it's also opened up eyes though to allowing remote workers. Um, so a lot of companies in the past have required people to be in their region where their office is, and you miss out on a lot of good talent. Um, so I've actually, over the last few months, hired four remote, remote employees where they're not even in Arizona or California, where our office is. So I think it's actually expanded being able to get talent from different places. Yeah. Um, I think as far as affecting work and day-to-day things, we, we haven't really seen a big change there. We've actually become a little more productive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with meeting most customers, unless they're enterprise, a lot of them are done via Zoom anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also think it's helped build rapport a lot with customers um, because everyone's human and everyone is now in a different situation. Um, so one of our sales reps, for example, is a, a new mom. Um, and she had an early call before daycare opened and she felt very uncomfortable that she was going to have to have her four-month-old right next to her during a sales call. Uh, towards the end of it, her baby started crying and she was like, guys, I'm so sorry. I have a crying baby. It's out of my control. Daycare wasn't there. And the prospect on the other end is like, oh, I'm a new mom too. And they both brought their babies onto the call and started chatting. And it it brought a different type of connection than what's kind of happened in the office where a lot of those things don't happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very interesting. Actually, it's, uh, uh, we're all human and then now we, it's, it's a bit, we are allowed to be a bit more. And as you said on the on the remote part, like for me, kind of um, 
it kind of allowed us with my, my fiance to, um, to, to, to kind of uh, think about life, a different life than the one, you know, the, let's say we could have before, because she's from Mexico, I'm from uh, Switzerland. And so we live in Berlin, in Germany, but um, we have family in Mexico. And so we are thinking actually, there's nothing preventing us from living in Mexico in winter and living in, uh, in Europe in the rest. So let's say from end of December to end of March, Mexico, much better weather. And yeah. we can still do the work and then, you know, we can go and live in Europe. So it, I mean, we can think about that. We have planned to do that. And yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's a super, super nice position that before, like we could have done it, but people would be like, oh no, you just like leave where you work basically. Yeah, and, and same thing, I have someone on my team who uh, asked if she could go to Florida in January for two weeks um, to visit family and friends out there. And I was like, totally fine, as long as you're still working the same hours. And she's like, well, are you sure? I'm like, well, you're currently in Chicago. Going to Florida, there's not a big difference as long as you're still doing your job, like you're more yeah. than happy to. Um, and same thing, we've had people go and travel across the country in, in a rented van who are just making sure they're working during the day. Um, so definitely making the most out of what 2020s brought us. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So uh, yeah, and so I'm, I'd be curious now to know where people can just like uh, hear more of you, get in touch with you, and uh, yeah, just if they have questions, where can they reach out? Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm on LinkedIn. Um, so just Jerry Henry at Sendoso. Um, if you want to find out more about Sendoso, I'd, I'd recommend going to Sendoso.com. We have tons of content there. Um, some some fun case stories. I think that's one of the most exciting things about Sendoso as well is how many different ways it's used. Um, we've had customers do um, ice cream parties that we have some content on where we actually send pints of ice cream with the toppings and, and have a fun thing all the way to sending, like we mentioned earlier, my favorite, the old fashioned margarita kits. Um, so I'd say our website has a, a lot of great content as well. Um, or happy to shoot me an email. My email is just jerry at sendoso.com. Okay, I'll put that in the show notes. So you can send ice cream with Sendoso, right? Do you, you send vaccines too or? Said what? Do you send vaccines too or? Like we're, minus we're, working there. We're, we're working on that one. <laughs> that would be fun, uh, Sendoso sponsored vaccine. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Jerry. That was super nice to have you and uh, then wish you a Merry Christmas and Happy Holiday then. Likewise, I uh, wish you a happy holidays and, and hope you and your fiance have a, a great, great break. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you like what you hear and you want to suggest a topic or a guest, you can join the T-shaped sales community. It's a 10 euro a month subscription where you'll get access to one new tactical training every month, a community of sales reps and exclusive events and discounts. Join today and get one month for free at www.saleslabs.io slash TSC.